I thought about it this way. Every night there's crickets outside my window that usually dissipate and turn off when the sun rises, and then you start hearing birds chirping. I imagine that's basically what's happening to this guy in his room. And I imagine as those birds woke him up, he gets up, puts on his clothes like we all would, and heads out and does what he does, his morning walk like he did every single morning. And so I'm thinking he was walking by those olive trees that are there. And, and I'm guessing that uh, he probably sees one of those pits as well, several of them around in that area. It was one of the pits where hundreds of years before that guy Joseph, that story told in Genesis 3-7, was thrown into one of those pits. And I doubt, well, he might have seen some camels that morning like they were on that day. I doubt there's any Ishmaelites coming along, taking and buying slaves to take like they did with Joseph down to Egypt. And as I imagine him walking, he probably sees this valley that's right there in this city and looks out in the city of this mountain city of Dothan and the Dothan Valley that's right down below there. And, and I'm, I'm guessing as he's walking, he's looking and seeing what he normally sees on this morning walk until he sees something. Something that he shouldn't be seeing. Something that I'm sure sent shivers up his spine. As he looks out and takes and sees what he sees. And I'm guessing the pace of his walk at this point has slowed down. In fact, it's probably come to a sudden stop. As he stops and he looks on ahead. My guess is though his heart isn't stopped. It's actually increased in beating. And so is the adrenaline rush coming into his body. That's what happens when fear consumes you. So what's going on? As he sees and looks up the hillside, the mountain right there, as he looks in the valley, as he looks everywhere that his eye takes him, what he sees is he sees horses with men mounted on them. He sees chariots with men positioned in them. Men on foot everywhere. They've come to do battle. This is going to be a different day. See, everything had started off normal with the normal walk, the normal routine. Now nothing was going to be normal about this day. Everywhere he looks now, that's what he sees. The Israel's enemy had come in the night before undetected. They're there again to do battle. They're looking for one man particularly, a man of God, a man who's a prophet to Israel. It's just one massive army. One massive army coming after one man. They're there to get him, to take him, this man of God. And so I'm imagining in haste and in fear, this individual, this servant, this attendant, does a 180 and starts heading back to his home. Heading back, and, I, and I'm guessing as he's heading back, there's this burning question that's going over in his mind. And I think if we caught up to him and we were walking right beside him, we'd hear him even saying it out loud. It'd just be a simple question. What shall we do? What are we going to do? What shall we do? What do we do with what's unfolding right here, right now? And I think if you were out on that walk that morning and saw his face, you might have asked him, what's, what's wrong? Why do you look so scared? And imagine him telling you, telling me, well, go look for yourself. Go check it out for yourself. 
I'm guessing you would have encountered in your life at times what feels like an army coming at you. Maybe it's you wake up and the day you think and the life that you're living is going to be normal and then this happens. It's an army coming against your health. Everything was good up until now. It seems like it's an army against your finances. It's an army against your family. It's an army against everything that seems to be stable in your life. It's, it's coming now against your children. It's a relative. It's something at work. We're downsizing. And you wonder, well, man, how's that going to affect me? Or maybe it's your, your integrity. The promises that you made and those are coming to war, so to speak, against you. And you're going, man, how am I going to get through this? What shall I do? How do I respond? How do I deal with this? In other words, you're seeing what's in front of you, and it kind of looks scary. And you would think and kind of go, you know, the odds don't look real good right now for what's in front of me. And then your spouse or maybe a family member or a friend or someone from your life group comes along and, well, have you, been ever, have you ever been asked this question? Uh, what are you looking at? Have you been there with that one? Like, what are you looking at? And, and, and is the response in your mind is, it's this. This is what I'm looking at. And this scares me. This is going to change my life now for what's in front of me. Look, we all have trials. We all have challenges. We all have difficulties. We all have obstacles that come along in our life that test us, just like the man experienced in this story. We're going to meet up with this man today, and he's a servant to a prophet. This morning, what I want us to do is we're going to look at one of God's prophets from the Old Testament. It's the prophet Elisha. It's the prophet Elisha. Let me just give you three quick observations, three quick facts about who Elisha is to remind us. I've provided some notes. You can fill these blanks in if you want. He was Elisha's, Elijah's successor as a prophet for God. So yes, we do get those names sometimes. Elisha, Elijah, man, they sound, why did they do that? They have to confuse, you know, and we, we look at that. But he's Elijah's re- successor. Elisha was there in the story where Elijah gets taken up into heaven. Elisha took that in firsthand. You can read about that amazing story in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. Something else about Elisha. He did many miracles, many miracles to help those in need. He uh, had faith in God, trust in the Lord to do what only God could do in that circumstance or that situation. You can read about one of those miracles in 2 Kings chapter 2, further on down in 19 to 22, where he purifies this well, this water that's there in Jericho. Last, I just want to mention about Elisha. He had a ministry spanning 50 years, almost 60 years. It's a pretty long time to be doing something. He saw in life more because he recognized that God offers more to life than if you were to live life just on your own. You see, he looked at his troubles. He looked at what was before him, and he looked at them in such a way what I would call the lens of faith, to see it through the way we should be looking at life. Faith in what? We hear that word tossed around. Well, faith in God, the God of the Bible. 
that we would turn to and look at. And Elisha will show us this morning that when we trust God, when we see God through what I call the lens of faith, that is where your faith, my faith can be strengthened, can get stronger in trusting God. So speaking of lenses for a moment, I, let, me, let me just mention something. So uh, this is a little bit uh, more transparent than I want to be, but it's come about kind of embarrassingly this past Wednesday night. It, it finally came home and hit me, and my wife was like, come on, honey, get over it. So here's what it is. I turned 50 last year. I don't know. You can make comments on that to your, to your neighbor if you want. But anyhow, I turned 50. I had a goal of getting to 50 without having to need any glasses. And I made it. Barely. So this past week, I'm in my office. And, uh, yeah, at about 50, I went down to Walmart and grabbed some of these. They're my new friends now. And I, most people haven't seen me with them, which is how I liked it. And so I happened to have them on preparing for my message this week. Knock at the door. Come in. It's Pastor Mike. And he goes, oh, well, look at what we have on our face. I see struggling to see stuff. And I'm like, I wanted to get to 50. I made it, but now I sometimes finer print. I've got to read this, and this is what this is about. And he's like, oh, I get it. I've had LASIK surgery. It's all good. Don't worry about it. I'm like, great. Then Wednesday night, we're at Grace Hills Institute, and I didn't have these with me because I thought, well, what do I need those for? I can read scripture fine out of my Bible. I start reading, and I'm going, man, this is really hard to read. And someone afterwards, you know who you are, goes, what translation was that anyhow? (laughs) This is the Bill trying to get through it translation. So now, if you see me with these on, you'll know, like, oh, he's just trying to read better. Uh, That's a little bit smaller print. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's where Bill is in life. And, And my wife is like, honey, there are so many people that were like, would be like, come on, Bill. Let's just get with it. Get over your vanity, Bill, that you think that you don't need glasses and just deal with it. Like, oh, okay. You can see that she's loving that way. Has someone who's had uh, glasses and contacts since she was 12. So I'm like, oh, okay, enough said there. So why do I bring this up beyond embarrassing myself and being transparent? Well, being able to see and read the verses in my Bible from looking through these lenses, I found is a good thing. It's made me be able to see stuff that I wouldn't be able to see otherwise as clearly as my eyes used to be able to do. Side note, it's really this one. This one's actually okay. It's this one. I don't know why, but it's whatever. And so I thought of through these lenses of reading glasses, it's like I thought, oh, well, here's where it fits in my message. Oh, man, Lord, you always have a sense of humor in working out these things, even the smallest little troubles, the obstacle, the war, if you will, against my eyesight. And I thought, you know, this is basically what I've got to learn in a simple way, but in a spiritual way, 
I thought, you know, a lot of times in life, isn't it how we want to go? God, I don't need to see you this way. I can see you just fine without the lens of faith. And I thought, oh, man, I have been there so many times. Have you been there? Like, I don't need to go to prayer. I don't need to trust God with this. I got this covered. This is all going to be just fine. And then you're up in front of a group of people, and you're like, oh, it's not fine. And I don't want anybody to know that I'm struggling in life today. It's not what I wanted everybody to know. I want everybody to think I'm normal to some level, whatever that definition is. And so I have these with me today, reluctantly. But I've realized, you know what? It takes humility. Not that I've arrived at that, but it takes humility to admit, okay, I need these. And if you've had somebody with you who's your spouse saying, you need those, you're like, no, I don't, I'm fine. And so I share that with you as we look through the lens of faith, there's a big difference of how we can see God working. And I want to submit to you that life is better as a result of seeing God the way we should see it. Life's better for me when I try and read Scripture. So what we're going to do is we're going to look through the lens of faith, if you will. The lens of faith, Elisha encounters God through the lens of faith. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to it to 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. And if you have your glasses and you need them, go ahead and put them on. 2 Kings chapter 6 is where I am right now, and I just want to read the first couple verses in this story, verses 8, 9, and 10. So I guess I admit there's three verses there. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. You might have a subtitle above your Bible, the Arameans or the Syrians plot to capture Elisha. Aramean, Syrian, they're the interchangeable words used in various translations. Verse 8. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man God had told him. Thus he warned him so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. So there's three main characters in this story. I don't know if you caught them, but there's three names. They're not all named by name. Did you notice that? So we've got to figure out who are these people. It's like they're spoken of in the third person. Well, let's bring it to the first person to see who they are. Three main characters listed in verses 8, 9, and 10. There's the king of Aram. There's the king of Israel. And there's a prophet who's known as the man. The king of Aram is Ben-Hadad II. That's who the king of Aram is when you see that in verse 8. The king of Israel at this time is Joram. Joram is the king of Israel And the man of God, guess who the man of God is? Elisha, the man of God. He refers to himself, or as the writer wrote it this way, as the man of God. Not a bad title, in my opinion. So during Elisha's 50-year ministry, Israel was sometimes at war with the Arameans. Uh, It just came and went, and other nations as well. The Syrians uh, might be in your translation. As I thought about that, I thought, man, 
Not a whole lot's changed for Israel, right? Somebody always seems to be attacking them. There's always under the threat of attack. And in 2 Kings 6, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, the king of Aram, is preparing for another surprise attack on Israel. He, he wants to go after them. But whether in a dream or a vision or through God speaking to him, Elisha learns of this coming attack. God's hand is on Elisha, it's, it's often, as we see here, a man of God. As a result, Elisha communicates this to Joram. That's the king of Israel. Joram goes out, gathers intel, brings it back, says, sure enough, their means are coming down. They want to attack us. Elisha is right. And verse 10 tells us this happened regularly between Elisha and Joram. This was happening of this exchange and, and uh, how Elisha would alert the king of what was happening. So since this happened regularly... I thought to myself, do you think this might have frustrated the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad? This is where you go, uh-huh. He sure, sure would frustrate him. Look at verses 11 to 14. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged, there we go, over this thing. In other words, that he's being found out. And he called his servants and said to them, will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he thinks he's got... Uh, betrayed men against him. One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him, as though Elisha wouldn't hear that. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. There's this mountain city I was referring to. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night undetected and surrounded the city. So Ben-Hadad is not only enraged, but he's probably feeling like a little bit of a military failure at this point. If you're a king of a country, I'm guessing you don't want to ever be feeling that. And my guess is, my thinking is, he's like, no, that can't be it. I'm the king. There's no way it's me. It's one of my men betraying me. Which one of you is for the king? Which one of you is for Israel's king? You see, up to this point, apparently Ben-Hadad has either not heard of Elisha, or if he has, he's like, he's a prophet, whatever, no big deal. Doesn't need to think much of him. But obviously, at least one of his officers knows who he is. His officer tells him, oh, it's Elisha, he's the one. And then he tells him, did you catch that? He hears everything you say, including what you say in your own bedroom. Yikes. And, and I thought about this, and I, I'm just thinking, this has, to get, <laughs> this has to get his attention. Now, in the day and age we live in, we have that thing called Alexa, right? And there's been some discussion out there, like, did you hear what Alexa picked up on? There's no, do you all know what I'm talking about? Just thanks for the nod, so I'm not in a different planet. But uh, there's no Alexa here, right? This is all God working to give the insight, the intel, the message to Elisha of what Ben-Hadad is doing. And then Elisha figures, if Elisha's the problem, take care of the problem. As though (laughs) Elisha doesn't hear what his plans are. 
Again, he has no clue that God is at work. And verse 14 tells us there's men with horses and chariots set and ready to take out Elisha. All those men, all those chariots, all those horses coming after one man. So the next morning, Elisha is, well, you've already heard part of the story. Let's check it out in verses 15 to 17. Here we gather. Now when the attendant, that's that servant, of the man of God had risen early and gone out, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, he goes back at this point, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear for those who are with us and are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God is there. God has shown up. And now the servant realizes, oh, it's not just this army that's here. God's army has come, and he's there. The Arameans were not a military force to be taken lightly. They were dangerous. This is a very serious and grave situation, but... Like a father to his young son, Elisha says, don't be afraid. I don't know if immediately the servant calmed down, the adrenaline rush, the heartbeat. You know, he's run back, he's seen everything, and he gets back and he tells them, what shall we do? And then like a dad saying, don't be afraid. And then we see him go into prayer and asking God to allow his servant, this attendant, to see what's going on there. And he gives that reason in verse 16, and he prays on behalf of his servant in verse 17. My guess is that the servant came to realize that God is a great God, a bigger God, a more powerful God than he had imagined up to this point. He's greater, he's more powerful. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's a reminder for us. We get up, we expect another day to be a normal day, and then that call, that email, that I don't feel good today, or... I got into work and I want to be seen in my in the boss's office. Or you get the phone call, hey, something broke on the car, something broke at the house, the kids broke this, this is going to require money. And you're going, oh man, really? Now this too? This has come along? And I think it's in those moments that we have to think, well, how are we going to look at it? We don't have Elisha standing there. Oh, let me pray over you, right? We do have something greater. We have the Holy Spirit for those of us that are believers. I think it's in these circumstances where the opportunity is there to see God through the lens of faith. Let's pick it up again, verses 18, 19, and 20. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people. This is the Arian army, the Syrian army that's there, when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people with blindness, I pray. So God struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. When they had come to Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men 
that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. God's at work here. Like he did for his servant, Elisha prayed for the Israelites. It's good to have someone pray for you, right? He prayed for another miracle, and God gave it to them. Verse 19 says, I will bring you to the man you seek. Who's the man? Elisha's the man. The one that they're seeking, the one that they've come for, all this army, he's going to take them there. Why is he leading them to Samaria? They're in Dothan. This is about 12 miles north of where they need to go to. It's because at that time, Samaria is the capital city of Israel. And guess who's there waiting for them? Well, we're about to see this Israel and the army that they have, besides God's army of angels, it's there. And once they arrive, Elisha prays again. I mean, I thought about how scared the Arameans must have been at this point. I don't think there was a full blindness that they couldn't see. They just couldn't make out what was really going on. Kind of like this, right, when I don't have those on. Couldn't quite make out. I can make out some of it. I can't make out really what it is. And, and here they show up in Samaria, which they would have known where this was. And then they realize, and he prays again, their eyes are open. And they realize where they are. I can't imagine how frightened, how vulnerable they would have felt at this point. They're basically entrapped by Israel's army. They're stuck. They've been led. And now they are on the defensive. And while the Arameans are not believers in Israel's God, I'm betting there's a couple guys out there going, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there's something to Israel's God. Maybe they're reevaluating their belief. Perhaps the king of Israel is too. He is pretty giddy about what's before him. He's pretty fired up about the opportunity he's been given. Let's wrap it up with these final verses, verse 21 to 23. Then the king of Israel, that's Joram, when he saw them, that's the Aramean army, said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? I think he's either had some caffeine or he's pretty pumped and adrenaline to get these guys, right? The enemy. What's Elisha's response? Verse 22. He answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those who have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Instead, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. This is King Joram. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master, that's Ben-Hadad, and the marauding bands of the Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel, at least for a season, at least for a while. We now see God's purpose and plan and what God was doing through all this. Because at this point, no Israel soldier died and no Aramean soldier died. This is a gracious God. Working through Elisha, God showed Israel and the Arameans how gracious he truly is in this setting, at this city in Samaria. God is in control of the breath in every man's lungs. He alone determines everyone's future. God's purposes, God's promises, God's plans cannot be stopped or defeated. Even when faced with incredible odds that seem to be against you, 
in a difficult trial, a difficult problem, a terrible heartache, nerve-wracking and fearful circumstances. God remains God. He does not change, which brings me to a question. So then what happens when you trust God? What happens when I trust God? What happens when we trust God? When it seems like an army is coming against whatever is going on in your life and you could think about that trial, that circumstance, that uncertainty, that vulnerability, when it seems like, feels like there's an army against you through that, well, what happens if you trust God through that? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Here it is. When you trust God, I believe that you can have your faith strengthened. Your faith can be strengthened. Let me give you three reasons why. When you trust God, your faith can be strengthened because you see more of God's presence in your life. You see more of God's presence in your life. You actually get to see through the lens of faith what God is actually doing. Then if you were to go about whatever trial, whatever circumstance, whatever situation, you're on your own and going, I'm not going to look through faith. I'm not going to look at God's perspective through this. I'm just going to do this on my own like the world does. When we trust God, I believe our faith can be strengthened because you see more of God's presence in your life. Elisha's faith allowed his servants to see and experience God's presence. Look back at verses 16 and 17 of 2 Kings chapter 6. So he answered, do not fear those, this is Elisha to his servant, do not fear those who are with us. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh God, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God's angels were there. God's presence is there. See, the servant, which I've been there too, right? Circumstances overwhelming. And to have that lens of faith to look at that and go, you know what? God's here to see that God is present in the midst of what you're dealing with. It takes faith. It takes trusting God. And that when you do that, I believe your faith can be strengthened. You know, in my experience in going into hospitals and visiting through my years of ministry, I'm always encouraged when I'm meeting with somebody and they can say something to the effect of, I've, I, I feel everybody's prayers. You do? Yeah, I do. I sense God is present working in this situation. And in their situation, there's a part of me that wants to go, yay! But, you know, I'm like, okay, let's, let's be reserved here. But in a sense, in my heart, I'm going, wow. They're realizing through the lens of faith that they're trusting God. They can see more of his presence working in their life. But it takes humility to go, God, I want to look at it the way you want me to look at it. And to see and to experience your presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, James 4.8 says it this way. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And as he draws near to you, I believe you can come, become more aware of God's presence. Not that we see him or that we hear him louder or some way. But it's just like, you know, I sense God is just, he's present in this situation. You could write your own story on that, perhaps, of how you've seen that in your life. It's something that is there. What happens when we trust God, when we can be strengthened 
Our faith can be strengthened because we see his presence in our life. Here's a second reason why I want to submit to you when you trust God, your faith can be strengthened. It's because when you see and trust God, you see more of God's sovereignty. You see more of God's sovereignty in your life. You see more of God in control over all circumstances and all situations. Not only did Elisha's servant and King Joram become aware of how sovereign God is, but so did their enemies. Look back again at verses 18 to 20. When they came down to him, this is the Aramean army. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed, the Lord said, strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them and with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, this is not the way nor the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. Verse 20, when they had come to Samaria, Elijah said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. In other words, they're seeing, hey, there's something that's going on here that's out of our control. That God is at work here. How did we get to Samaria? Uh, Their God must be doing something here. He must be in control. He must be sovereign. You see, when you trust God, your faith can be strengthened because we see that God is is powerful, that he is in control. And when we see that, for me, I look at that and I go, oh, that's where we come into a worship service and we sing praise to God because we're reminded, like, oh, that's right, God. In the midst of that army coming at me in my life, whatever the circumstance, situation is, I need to be reminded of the fact that you are sovereign. You are in control of everything around me, that that I can see and that which I can't. God, give me the faith. Help me put the lens of faith on. Make, help me be disciplined to look at whatever it is that I'm dealing with the way I should and to see that, God, you are in control. Because the only other option in my mind, in my experience, is then stuff becomes out of control. Or I try and take control of that which I cannot. Only God can do what only God can do. It's the sovereignty of God. And it's when you say, wow, God, wow. Look at what you've done here. And I just would wonder, in the circumstances you're facing right now, have you arrived at that point in your life where you go, God, I see what you are doing. You're in control here. But this is what can happen when you see God through the lens of faith. When you trust God, your faith can be strengthened. A third and final reason way is that you can see God's grace in your life. You can see more of God's grace in your life. Elisha, I noticed here, I hope you noticed it well, Elisha didn't say to his servant, to his attendant, when he came freaked in, freaked out into that house, oh, settle down, boy, settle down. I've got this all in control. I'm the successor of Elijah. Behold, I am here. I can handle all these things. I've got it. I will take care of it. Just calm down. Everything's going to be okay. I even got the double blessing from Elijah. Something I asked for, and he's like, that's a difficult thing to get. Well, I even got that. I even got his cloak to fall on me. All right, I've got this in control. No. We see Elisha pray. How many times does he pray? 
I'll give you a hint. It's three. <laughs> three times. Three times in this story he prays. Once for his servant and twice to have victory over Israel's enemies. That's what's going on in verses 17 and 18 and 20 that we just read. I look at that as God's grace. Here's Elisha going, God, we need you to work here. I need to trust you through this. I believe you're present. I believe you're sovereign. And I need to pray and depend upon you to work this out. Did you notice the three prayers, what the answers were? God said, yes, yes, and yes. Did God have to do that? No. God's grace working through the circumstances in this situation. Does this mean that God is always going to say yes to your prayer requests in your circumstance that's freaking you out? I don't know. I don't know. That's life. But I can tell you that God is present. I can tell you that God is sovereign. He hasn't changed. I can tell you that God is a gracious God and he wants to bestow that upon your life. The key here is that Elisha became aware of his need for prayer. Even as a prophet of God, he was realizing, I've got to pray. He was aware of his insufficiency. He was aware of, God, I need you to intercede. If Elijah became aware of his need for prayer, maybe you and I should too. And the circumstances that we face, it's how we see more of God's grace. It's how we begin to realize that our faith is being strengthened as we look at God the way God wants us to look at our life as we live it. Let me give you this reminder as I wrap up. It's from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This, this is what the ancients, like Elisha, were commended for. The ancients, the ancients, men like Elisha, they saw God work through the lens of faith. As I think about that, this allowed Elijah, the servant, to see more of God's presence. And those around him got to see that too. It allowed Elisha to see more of God's sovereignty. And those around him got to see that too. And he got to see more of God's grace. And those around him, he got to, got to see that too. So whatever army, so it seems, is coming against you today, is about to show up tomorrow, maybe you need to be like that guy who turned 50 recently and came to realization that, oh, man, I got to humble myself. I don't want to do that. I've got to humble myself. I've got to make the decision to actually put these on, to pull them out. That takes some effort to make sure I don't go, oh, I, don't, I can just leave them over there. I don't need them. And to actually go to God and go, God, I... I don't want to wear these. I don't want to go about it this way, per se, but I know from what you say in your word and what you show me through your word, this is the way I need to see whatever's in front of me. And if you do that, by God's grace and in his timing, I believe he'll strengthen your faith as you go along in life.